0: I predict that uh, this asymmetry is going to get worse and it will make society more hierarchical. So I believe that there is something coming called the digital caste system. The digital caste system. So you should stop worrying about the traditional caste system. It's not that important. You may think it's very important, but there's another caste system coming, which is based on a whole different criteria of who controls the algorithms, uh, who has privacy and who doesn't. Who is being manipulated without even being conscious that they are being manipulated? Who is being denied rights uh, to access various things? Who is being deplatformed? Who is being boosted? All of this algorithmically controlled uh, in the hands, And these algorithms are in the hands of a f- small number of people at the top of these companies. And they set the, the criteria of what is true and false and what type of ideology to support so uh it looks very nice and democratic and transparent but actually uh ai is not value neutral if
1: an ai model does not have an accuracy of more than 98.6 percent it can be dangerous Uh, for example i'll give you a small example suppose there's an ai system of a face facial recognition of uh preventing a terrorist entering a, a airport right Just imagine if it is a false positive, false positive, I am not a terrorist, but I've been identified as a terrorist. It's not a big deal because I will be incumbened. But if it's a false negative, I'm a terrorist. But the algorithm did not take me as a terrorist.
2: Geopolitical scenario is completely changing. You are all witness of it. Countries like uh, Russia, China, US, they are far ahead of us and we are still in a discussion mode now in these kind of a seminars. Please don't mind this. We cannot ignore this.
0: The government and the big business should invest in building our own AI platforms. So, we are not uh, we are not being profiled by somebody else's platform. We have a disadvantage if you are going to fight. It's like you're fighting on somebody else's home turf and they have a home turf advantage as long as that's not done, we cannot really defeat them. But there are things we can do as individuals. And that is that when you, you should become more vigilant about how things of interest to you ideologically are being profiled by various social media and various algorithms. And when you see something is wrong, you should raise hell, you should protest. And there are avenues to do that because if you, the more you comply with its Value system. Anything that can be repeated, anything I can describe how to do it to you, and then you can learn and do it. That's an algorithm. So basically, the the idea started with programmers teaching a machine: step one, step two, step three. This is how you how you uh, operate, and the machine simply obeys it. So that's what a typical, in a very simple way, algorithm is: a procedure, a recipe.
3: Namaste. Greetings on behalf of the Bharat Book Club, an initiative of Historical India in collaboration with Hindu College, University of Delhi. It is an immense pleasure and honor to invite you to the book launch of The Power of Future Machines Essays on Artificial Intelligence. The Bharat Book Club, an initiative of Historical India is a forum for students and scholars who share an enthusiasm for readership and deliberation of ideas. Based in the University of Delhi, the club aims at reviving the culture of reading and research from hosting book launches to introducing and reintroducing literature, publishing book reviews, enhancing bibliographic research to initiating novel bibliophile endeavours Forge the essence of the Bharat Book Club. Historical India is a community-based digital wiki platform stimulating an exclusive discourse on multidisciplinary history, It's a platform where one can create and edit wiki articles ensuring that this discourse reaches the masses by cracking the dynamics of search engine optimization. Almost one third of articles at Historical India appear in the top 5 searches in various engines. It also aims to serve as a platform for historical deliberation beyond the digital space. Today we are present at Hindu College for something new and something enriching. Because we have dignitaries and speakers who have changed the discourse, challenged the academic status quo and produced literature of the finest quality. Now, I take the honor to introduce to this August assembly our dignitaries and speakers for today. It is extremely easy to find people who speak pleasantly, but it is rare to find people who speak and hear true words even when they are not pleasing to hear. Today, we have speaker Rajiv Malhotra, was trained initially as a physicist and then as a computer scientist specializing in artificial intelligence in the 1970s. After a successful corporate career in US, he became an entrepreneur and founded and ran several IT companies in 20 countries. He exited all the for-profit activities in early 1990s. As the founder of his non-profit Infinity Foundation, he has on a full-time basis been researching civilizations from a historical, social sciences, and mind sciences perspective. Sir, we welcome you to this August assembly. (laughs) Then we have the editors of the book. Manogna Sastri is a master of science from the Indian Institute of Astrophysics with a strong background in theoretical physics and mathematics. She's currently the team leader research at Infinity Foundation. Ma'am, we welcome you. T.N. Sudarshan is a computer scientist by profession with expertise in the fields of AI and related technologies. Apart from technology consulting for startups, he is also actively involved with research initiatives at Infinity Foundation. Sir, we are grateful to have you. Now I would introduce the guest for the ceremony, Srimati Vijaya Vishwanathan. She's a mechanical engineer by training with an MBA from the Wharton Business School. After a successful corporate career, she turned her focus to education, gaining deep insights into the relevance of Indic knowledge systems. We have with us, Lieutenant General P.J.S. Pannu. (laughs) Lieutenant General P.J.S. Pannu, Param Vishist Seva Medal. He is the former Deputy Chief of the Indian Integrated Defense Staff, who commanded 14 corps, including in the highest active war zone in the world. Thank you, sir, for joining the event. We have with us one of the speakers, Major General Love Bikram Chan. He is a Corps of Signals Indian Army veteran with 37 years of experience in the ICT and electronic warfare. During his Army career, he headed the implementation of many pan-India ICT projects like Ascon Phase 3. Sir, so we are grateful to have you. <laughs> we have with us Rajkumar Sharma. He is the president of All India Council for Robotics and Automation since April 2014. He is passionately committed to transforming India to be a global leader in the field of robotics through technological advancements. Sir, thank you for joining us. I would like to introduce Mr. Ravi Khanna, who is a businessman and a Vedic scholar who pursued BSc Physics honors at St. Stephen's College, Delhi and completed his Master's in Electrical Engineering from Madison University of Wisconsin, USA. So we are grateful to have you. I will now introduce Ishwara Bhatt, who is an entrepreneur and consultant in Artificial Intelligence. He is a co-founder of ManoMaya AI Systems, which is into behavioral AI products and services. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Subodhi Mukhopadhyay, is a civilization studies researcher whose writings on culture, economics, and philosophy have appeared in newspapers, magazines, and academic journal. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Lastly, we have Divya Reddy, who is an engineer and a postgraduate in management, who joined Infinity Foundation India as a researcher and host of the Youth Ask series. At IFI, she is actively involved in consolidating the youth to carry forward the vision and mission of the organization. Thank you for joining us, ma'am. We have with us Dr. Manisha Pandey, ma'am, who is the Speaker of the Republic of Hindu Parliament. She is the Convener of the Gandhi Study Circle in Hindu College. She is the Nodal Officer of Azadi Ka Amrit Mahotsav and the Associate Professor at the Department of Political Science, Hindu College. Thank you, ma'am, for joining us. We salute the Supreme who is the light in the lamp that brings auspiciousness, prosperity, good health, the abundance of wealth and destruction of intellect's enemy. The lamp lighting ritual symbolizes the positivity and optimism and is therefore sacred before beginning any event. In light of that, I would now like to invite the dignitaries for the lamp lighting. Along with all the dignitaries, it is our honor to host Colonel Manik Anand from Ministry of Defense and Mr. Rakesh Mehrotra. Kindly give a round of applause for the dignitaries. Thank you. Now I would like to invite one of the editors of the book, Manogna Sastri Ma'am, to come on the stage and give the welcome remarks.
4: Namaste everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, I think the inauguration of this book is a very important milestone moment for us at Infinity Foundation. Um, And uh, it um, is in fact, one of the series of books that are coming out, very exciting uh, times for us. And I thank you all for joining us here today. So this um, anthology of essays, which uh, is what this book is about: The Power of Future Machines. So, these are essays which have been solicited from experts in the field of artificial intelligence and to study the impact of it in various fields of human endeavor. So, we have built upon the dialect and framework introduced by Rajiv Ji in his uh, previous book artificial intelligence and the future of power, and we have taken that to the next level in studying the impact in various battle drums, as he calls it. So this could be the uh, geostrategic and military affairs, it could be in spirituality. So we are considering the applications in a whole range of human um, endeavor. So the essays also discuss the application of artificial intelligence to policy making, which is a very important area. We are also studying um, how the perspectives of AI can add to the present day skewered discourse which we have, uh, especially coming from a civilization which has suffered over the past few uh, centuries. So Now in this book, we have uh, the discussions which Rajivji has had with the military that has been serialized into an essay. We also have Valina Chakirova, who has provided a balanced geopolitical analysis of what she calls the Fourth Industrial Revolution. We have uh, Sri Ruchir Sharmaji, who has provided a very impactful analysis of the potential trajectories of imperialism and colonization, given the mainstreaming of the AI that we have today. We also have Lieutenant General PJ Panusa, who has provided a detailed analysis of the ramifications of AI, um, especially in the military theater, right? In the larger context, especially of national security. We also have Ishwara Bhatji, who has given an under the hood analysis of the data bias and implications which are there at the very idea of, let's say, freedom of speech, right? And especially understanding how this is impacting the AI that we have currently. We have Mnuchin Joy who has taken a broad look of what doing physics means today, especially against the backdrop of it being affected by AI. We also have Ravi Kanaji, who has provided a perspective on the roles and implications of AI, grounded in the consciousness perspectives which the Vedas have provided. We also have Shubadeep matropadhyay and Divya Reddy, who have um, ra- who have rounded out this entire compilation of uh, essays by focusing on the deeper problem of Western universalism and what this has done in defining and even building the AI as we know of today. So at Infinity Foundation, the perspectives emanating from AI have now been influencing almost all our research and content. So we realize that much needs to be analyzed and studied and communicated, uh, especially to understand the ramifications of AI from the Sanatana perspectives, right, and the Dharmic perspectives. And we hope that as a larger part of our commitment in creating and curating uh, and communicating these perspectives over the years ahead, we hope to bring out many more such uh, essays in volumes uh, in different formats. It could be in published versions, it could be through other media. So we are looking forward to that, that as well. So we hope this collection of essays. Uh, provides our audience with some serious thought-provoking analyses and perspectives, and we hope it receives a much wide audience. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope you have a wonderful session ahead. Thank you.
3: Thank you, ma'am. Now I invite all the speakers for today to come up on the stage and uh, to the book inauguration, the unveiling of the book. Uh, I invite uh, Rajiv Malhotra, sir, on stage, Uh, Major General Love Bikram Chan, (laughs) Lieutenant General PJS Pannu. I invite Rajkumar Sharma on the stage to, to the book inauguration. So, round of applause for Mr. Rajiv Malhotra.
0: (laughs) Namaste and thank you for inviting me. And I want to congratulate all the authors, but especially Manogna Sudarshan for spearheading this, not only as scholars and researchers in this book, but also project managing. And one of the most difficult things to do More difficult than writing your own book, where you have the whole book, is to manage other authors. And the more authors, the more difficult it is. So, I know how complicated it is. You know, you have to keep, have a quality control. You keep sending it back for corrections and feedback. And some people are very quick and some take a very long time. So, this, this is why it takes so many years to achieve perfection. And I'm very proud of the work that uh, the two of them have produced. I went to uh, your rival college across the street. I was in St. Stephen's College (laughs) until 1971. And then I went to the U.S. My, uh, from physics, when I went to computer science, my field was artificial intelligence. Uh, But, you know, in those days, AI, we never thought AI would really happen in this big way like today. This is considered fiction, what is now happening. In those days, we were thinking of... um, Playing chess, teaching computers to play chess, it was very difficult to beat even an average uh, human. Now, of course, uh, the best humans can't beat the computer. Uh, And then uh, we were very interested in things like handwriting analysis. So even the letter A, it's so difficult to figure out. You know, so many people write in different ways and you do a a bitmap and try to figure out what's the algorithm, how do you tell, how do you recognize. Very difficult We thought. All these things have been cracked and I've been following the journey of AI technologically and also in terms of the applications. But in the last uh, three decades, since I left the technical world as a technocrat myself and got into the world of social sciences, mind sciences, humanities, those kind of things and understanding our culture, our civilization, I have continued looking at AI as an observer. And so... Putting it all together now, my interest is to see how these technologies affect human beings' future, how they'll affect colonization, because the world is going to get colonized again. I'm, I'm convinced of that. There will be a new kind of haves and have-nots. And AI is a very important weapon, which does a AI is a very important force because it enhances the intelligence with artificial enhancement. But then, you know, if... if Like any weapon or any force multiplier, it has good uses and bad uses. And depends on who has more AI, me or my enemy. It's like uh, you give me a booster to become more strong. Is it good news or bad news? Depends on whether I'm strong or whether my opponent is strong. So AI is, uh, (coughs) people generally don't like to talk about issues that are concerning. Because it's more uh, interesting to talk about good things happening and the world will be great and so on. But I, uh, I predict that uh, this asymmetry is going to get worse and it will make society more hierarchical. So, I believe that there is something coming called the digital caste system. The digital caste system. So, you should stop worrying about the traditional caste system. It's not that important. You may think it's very important, but there's another caste system coming which is based on a whole different criteria of who controls the algorithms, uh, who has privacy and who doesn't. Who is being manipulated without even being conscious that they are being manipulated? Who is being denied rights uh, to access various things? Who is being deplatformed? Who is being boosted? All of this algorithmically controlled uh, in the hands, And these algorithms are in the hands of a f- small number of people at the top of these companies. And they set the, the criteria of what is true and false and what type of ideology to support so uh, it looks very nice and democratic and transparent but actually uh, ai is not value neutral ai has a a, a lot of uh, the machines are trained uh, the way you train human beings you can train a child in one kind of schooling system and or another kind or another kind and depending on the pedagogy and ideology the child will learn to have a certain bias and if Humans have bias based on the way they're educated Then naturally machine learning also Has similar issues with it So these are some of the controversies I want to talk because they're not Easy to talk about and most people Don't want to deal with them I'm also looking at the asymmetry From the point of view of military uh, Because this is going to define uh, You know the new haves And have nots militarily Remember that Babur came to India with Cannons and that was decisive That's what allowed the Mughals to set up their empire. And the Portuguese came by sea with cannons on their boats. And that helped them create a whole take over the sea trade. So superiority of weapons has been very decisive. The Romans versus the Greeks famous. The Greeks were a great civilization, but the Romans had superior weapons. So you see, this is this is where uh, AI weaponry strategic advantage seriously can be very costly. And today, we are about 10, day, 10 years behind China uh, in, in AI technology. We are trying to catch up. And some of the people very important in catching up are present here. Uh, and I'm very glad we are doing that. But we are late. Um, then you look at allied uh, uh, you know things that are tech, not AI per se, but allied with the AI uh, associated, like quantum computing. Uh, Quantum computing will allow you to break all the codes, all the security codes, no matter how, 32-bit, 64-bit, whatever, it will be easy like that to break those. And so, there is a race between the US, you know, Pentagon, the military and all that, and the Chinese to see who can do it. Because even having an advantage for a short window would give them a time window in which they can do a lot of mischief. So, these are uh, things our countries just beginning to appreciate. And then there is this whole area of data privacy. We don't have, India does not have a data privacy law. We have position papers, we have proposals, we have discussions, we do not have an actual law. So today, data is being siphoned off the country. Not only it has commercial value, and we are not participating in the data value of our own country, but this data is usable against us. Because the data allows people to figure out things about us and th- that tell them how to compromise us. So these algorithms are, you know, becoming so sophisticated that uh, uh, it, it, people who are outside the field don't want to believe all this until they see it. So now the latest uh, surprise is this chat GPT. And if you look at chat, G- chat GPT, it is biased. It is biased. You, you, there are some many examples of it. And then when I talk to the people in OpenAI, because I have a link to get there, uh, they say, well, you know, uh, y- your culture can also help train, the- make, it- make it okay, because it is trainable. So, if you don't train it, it has a bias against you that's bad. If you do train it, you are doing the ser- free service, training their algorithm, making it smarter and smarter to think- to know you. And the more it knows you, the more it can also manipulate you. So, you know, what do you do? If you, if you leave it alone, it's no good. If you train it, it may be even worse. What do you do? Our problem is we don't have our own platforms. That is India's problem. We don't have even operating system. We don't have a language model. The AI needs a language model. We don't have uh, search engines of our own. So, you, if, you, if you go looking... We are always dependent, we don't have a, so- a social media platforms of our own. So, we don't have platforms, but we are very proud that we are renting these platforms or borrowing, buying, licensing, whatever. We are using other people's platforms. And of course, they are very happy that we are becoming clients on their platforms, becoming more dependent on them. So, the, the person who owns the platform has more power than the person who is using it. You may, we may be very proud, we've got the largest number of WhatsApp users or whatever, you know, they, we come up with all these statistics. And maybe we have the second or third largest number of Gmail users. But what you don't realize is that there is a compromise of our data, the data privacy and the dependence on these things. And with one click, it can all change. All of this can change. And I hear naive answers from the government that, oh, we have privacy laws because we want the servers to be based in India. As if the physical location of a server makes any difference. Physical location, you know, when you put your data in the cloud, it doesn't matter where it's physically located. The point is who has access to it, and whether it's here or somewhere else doesn't matter. Most of these servers are mirrored. They have mirrored. Amazon has servers here, but they mirrored in two, three places, copies. Uh, and we don't know how to read the server. They know how to read the server because it's encrypted. And and even if you decrypt it, uh, even if you get the break the encryption code, the point is that the formatting and how how to make sense out of this we don't know. Only the people who've created it know. So, but if you ask them that you, something called explainable AI, which means that the public has a right to understand how your AI works. If it's, if it's, uh, if your AI has me, my profile and my data, uh, the argument is I should have a right to know how it's working, how it's making decisions. How does the algorithm make any kind of judgment on me? I have a right to know. And that they will never share. They'll never share. Uh, so, we are not even asking, we are not even demanding, our country is not even demanding the right kind of things in terms of uh, securing our rights. So, we are negotiating for things that are non-issues. They are not even, they are a joke, you know, to ask for, put your servers here and it will be fine. It makes no difference. So, I think uh, these are the reasons, some of the reasons I wrote my own AI book. Uh, but, you know, to take it further, we need lots of people joining. And I'm glad I have some brilliant people here who've taken this discussion, uh, the, the issue of AI much further. And we'll continue with this. We'll continue doing more work uh, and, and uh, use uh, our forum, our platform to uh, influence the decision makers uh, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, a sense of responsibility. When my book was coming out, this was uh, 2021 or something, um, or 20, yeah, 21, Uh, In the summer, that is when, just before the book came out, that is when uh, it was celebrated in India that Gio got the biggest investment of $10 billion from Google and so many billion dollars from Facebook. And and we were very happy about it. And I wrote uh, criticizing. I said that actually these tech giants have kind of infiltrated India, used Gio as a listening device. Now they're all over legitimately. Financial transactions are allowed through these platforms and these guys are listening. I mean, uh, so, yes, we need the FDI. We need the money and uh, therefore uh, the company that brings in funding is a hero. But the fact is that in exchange for getting the funding, we've given them access to a huge market and a huge amount of data that they they can take. Of course, they'll say we have our servers in India, but that, as I explained, makes no difference. So the issues are very large and very complex, not something I can sort of cover in the 10 minutes or 15 minutes uh, allocated to me. So I will, uh, uh, I will just conclude by saying that uh, I'm extremely happy, proud that we have this wonderful team of scholars. I'll sit and listen to them and then maybe during Q&A we can uh, get more active. And I'm so happy to see a large number of students take interest in this because your future your future whether you are in the ai or not whether you are in computer science or not whether you are in technology or not your future is going to be influenced by this you should know what it's all about you should reflect on it you should philosophize on it you should be in, you should be informed enough to take a position and argue and debate and uh, that's that's why i'm so happy to see so thank you very much
3: Thank you, sir, for your address. More will be heard from sir in the question and answer session. Now, I invite Lieutenant General PJS Panu for his address.
5: Jaihan, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you, Ji. Thank you, Manogna, for putting this book together. As you said, you know, a number of authors have given you what they had to write, and it was for you to put it together and for a g g to come from us and uh, make an event out of this uh, book launch um, artificial intelligence has been spoken about enough but uh, what is here for me to say is that in this book when uh, i was asked what would you want to do in this artificial intelligence uh, uh, future uh, how it is going to impact so i thought you know i will write about the national security National security is often misunderstood as the security of the borders, the physical security of the borders, where the military or the border guarding forces are actually sitting physically and defending the nation from any ills, physical or otherwise, which will come across and disrupt the proceedings in the nation, and nation cannot peacefully progress. But when you start talking about artificial intelligence, then you know that there is actually no frontier. Every individual is a frontier. Um, looking at the title of the book, actually, there are three words standalone words which make a full sense by themselves and collectively they make a sense of what we are trying to speak about is we are talking about the power and we are talking about the future and we are talking about the machines. When I was addressing you, when I said boys and girls, actually, it is it was meant for those who are sitting behind the students of the college. You are the future because you have more number of years to live in this world. And this world is actually on accelerated acceleration of development, where it is not the need, but the greed which is dictating how we do our business for the future. And the moment you are driven by greed and you're employing machines to actually realize your greed, you see the power of the machine is going to become very disruptive. And if you see what is written behind on the cover that that I wrote, is that a man has been trying to make an endeavor to make a machine behave like a human being. But in that endeavor, the human being has started behaving like a machine. So as a result, when the combine of both starts working along with the greed, obviously the nature is going to give you a pushback. If the nature gives you a pushback, where is the definition of love, compassion, and uh, how the humanity is supposed to grow together as humans. So what uh, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra has been talking about is that if you have nots, if you have not been able to adapt yourself, you're actually going to be at the receiving end of what the technology and those who have adapted or adopted the technology, We are going to be at the receiving end of that. And that is going to reduce us to the labor colony of the world. And that is have nots, which in any case, If you keep doing analog conventional methods, you will become a have-not. It means that you worked very hard, you did everything, but you did not understand the power of the machine, and you did not go along with the power of the machine, and you did not empower yourself with the machine. So you became on the receiving end, the ones who are going to be left back to contribute to being the labor of the world. This is a problem and I think uh, when you talk about the national security, national security is nothing But not only the borders, I mean, we have 22,500 kilometers of land and uh, sea frontier. Uh, We got to make sure that our systems which are actually guarding us on the land borders and sea frontier are also smart. It means starting from there, it also talks about the gateways to India as far as digital uh, inroads are concerned. Whatever networks are operating, we have to make sure that even that is considered to be a frontier because from outside, something will come not only from the terrestrial, but also from the non-terrestrial uh, communication uh, means. Olden days and my regiment, I am from the Maratha Light Infantry and I have a regimental center, the Maratha Center, which actually in a battle won the maximum gallantry awards in one battle, that is Battle of Sharkat. The symbol of Sharkat is the body of the line and head of a human, the body of a lion and head of a human. And what it actually reflects is that the the com- combination of a man and the machine, sorry, man and the animal, man and the beast cannot be subjugated. Now, a rider on a horseback has a similar analogy. Why did we have in the uh, olden days? The warriors on horsebacks and elephants and camelbacks because they are the ones who gave the power of the beast and it was the head of the human which actually made them do whatever they wanted so where was the synergy if you're not a good rider you're going to be thrown off by the uh, horse but if there is a perfect rider that is the example of perfect synergy because both don't speak the same language Yet the synergy in the battlefield is perfect. They will go to the target in precision, hit the target where you want to actually have a sword fighting or have a pierce, uh, uh, you know, sphere going into and pierce somebody's head. You have to go a precision way. So you would have seen on a horseback, you know, when you have the tent pegging and all that, what kind of a precision is there between a horse rider and the warrior? This is the kind of precision which is going to be required between a man and a machine. So it's going to be the combine of a man and machine cannot be subjugated. But here there's a qualification to it. If the man has not understood the machine and has not mastered the machine, the machine is going to throw that man off his back. And if the machine is not good enough, powerful enough, so man can do whatever the machine of your adversary is going to defeat your machine. And ultimately you will also perish. So in the whole realm of understanding, what is important is that we are going through a motion of decision making. Ultimately, it is the cognitive power. The physical capturing of a soldier or a commander is not more important, but it is how you capture the mind of the commander, how you capture the mind of people is more important. It means that if you're going to be under influence, if you're going to be through whatever means, you know, deep fakes, fakes, or rumors or whatever, if you're convinced something which is which doesn't exist exists, then that is where you're gone. It means if your minds are turned around by the machines, and that is exactly what this smart machine is doing all the time, you are all the time being programmed by somebody or the other through advertisements, through programs, through communication, whoever is throwing information there, you are actually imbibing that information and in your minds are being programmed, that is the problem. And if you're going to be programmed in a particular way as your adversary wants you to be programmed, then you're going to be a decision maker. So in the battlefield, what is important is uda, observe, orient, decide and act. What is being thrown to you every day? You're observing what you make out of it and then try to figure out what it is. It is orientation. And now you decide in all that the market is going up and down. The businesses are going up and down. The economy is going up and down. Where should I go? It means you have to decide. Once you have taken a decision, then you say, should I make this investment? Should I go to that country? Should I do business with so-and-so? Should I do business in this, business, uh, this uh, sector or not? All the decision making is going to be based on this. But if your initial input was wrong, then your act is going to be wrong. So you're going to be deceived to take a wrong action. But today it is not simple OODA. It has become o o s s d a It means observe, orient, share. Because what is happening is you are making up your mind. You observe, you orient, and then you say, I want to share it with my team. Now, if you think you should not share a WhatsApp message because you don't know from where it has come and what impact it is going to happen, still you're sharing it. And if you have shared it, if you think that your entire network should understand it, but if it is not secure, it means it is going to go into somebody else's hand. Or if it was already infected, it is going to be shared in a manner that now your entire program is in somebody else's hand. So your mind is going to be somewhere else. And what are you going to decide and what act are you going to do? So you will invest wrongly. You will act wrongly. And as in the military, they say, you will be wrong kinetic and wrong contact it means you will go and fight a battle at the wrong place which will only help the adversary so therefore technology is extremely important um i don't know whether we can flash these two slides i won't take much in the battlefield what is important is that if you talking about the iot in the battlefield is information sorry internet of battle things and internet internet of battle things it means all your machines whether it is your Missiles or your tanks or your guns or what have you, which is going to be actually used for war fighting, are going to be seen as a platform which are networked. And these are going to be programmed, pre programmed based on the ISR, that information uh, that you get, what surveillance you carry out, what reconnaissance you have what robotics are helping you in automatic analysis of decision-making, all this is going to be all connected together. And that is how the IOBT and IOMT is going to be linked up together so that there is a shooter sensor link. If you think that this particular target is to be destroyed, the machine can on its own decide to destroy it because you have given the charge to the machine to decide and act. But if you think that you have to take that decision, then you have to interpose yourself. That Don't share it with the machine. Make sure when you share it with the machine, it is secure. So usda becomes very important. And, and therefore, the entire process of decision making is extremely important. So I won't go on. Um, I will uh, look for uh, uh, whatever questions come up uh, in the interaction. But what I still feel is that Each individual must know that you are like a nation as an individual. Uh, You can be targeted, your friend can be targeted, your family can be targeted and you will all start running around in circles. You can be demoralized. You can actually be captured by somebody else in the mind and your neighbor won't know that why your morale is so low because somebody will be pushed to commit a suicide because somebody programmed that let's not allow so-and-so, so-and-so who's doing very well professionally. Let's give this information and bring that person down. So cognitive power and also your emotional intelligence all going to be put together. And you're going to actually see how the decision making our ability of empowering ourselves as human beings is important. So therefore, when you talk about one nation approach, it is from the smart frontier to smart individual. All need to be secured. All need to be networked. All need to be on a decision loop, which is absolutely fast, which is it means instant your you can't keep waiting for information to reach to you. The information in the ICT network has to be so good and it has to be owned by Indian systems. You have to have indigenous technology to fight individual battles. You have to have indigenous technology to do Indian business. If you don't have indigenous solutions, well, then we don't know. We can't trust. The supply chain cannot be trusted. There will be infection in the system. And that is precisely what we need to do. So the other day, you know, Manik Anand is here. He was actually sitting in Bangalore Uh, on seeing how the drone warfare is going to be fought for the future drone warfare is a true example of what artificial intelligence can do in the battlefield from the tactical to the strategic level and that is extremely important for us to understand that we have smartphones in our pockets that smartphone is the only input which is required 10 figures you just type it out press and the person who's owning that smartphone is going to be destroyed Because a drone can come, a missile can come, a sniper can come or a drone carrying a sniper can come and shoot you off because we never part with a mobile. Now today I have parted, it's lying next to Mr. Malhotra, so only for a little while, but normally when you are having a mobile in your pocket, at night also you sleep here. So invariably you will know that you target the mobile, you would have targeted the individual. Thank you very much, we can talk about it later.
3: Thank you, sir, for your address. Now, I would like to invite Major General Love Bikram on the stage to give his address.
1: Good evening, friends. It's a pleasure to be here. A little anecdote, you know, um, way back in 1977, I was in the merit list to join Hindu College for physics honors. And then I got cleared in the National Defense Academy, Khadakwasla. and That's where I went. Okay. And that, you know, it's an honor to be here. Uh, and uh, I also have Kanan the same, he, it's the same fate, right? Okay. Um, you know, uh, we heard so much of this uh, AI. So I said, let me just put it a little differently. Let me take a little different this thing. And f- what motivated me to do differently was because when I read your book, it was very enlightening, yet very scary. It actually puts a fear in you. It can actually AI, if not used responsibly, can be devastating to an individual, to a nation, to a community, to anybody. So I'm basing my talk on responsible use of AI. And um, before I go there, let me just Give you another instance. Uh, when I was pursuing my PG in uh, AI for uh, leaders with Austin University, I asked my professor because you know you have an introduction. He said, "Why are you doing this course?" I said, "Look, I want to use AI for the uh, efficiently doing the military work." He kept quiet for a moment, and he said, "It is debatable and ethical." So I said, "Fine, uh, the chapter closed, but." If you are going to be like an ostrich, bury your head in the sand that it is not ethical, so I will not do it, then you're not being responsible, right? We will lag behind. Okay, uh, now today actually AI has entered everybody's um, life. All of us watch Netflix, right? Uh, You watch a movie, there's a thumbs up, there's a thumbs down, there's a double thumbs up. What is that? That's the recommender system. If you put a thumbs up or a double thumbs up, it links up to somebody else, links up to your friends in the WhatsApp group and it comes up, you okay, fine. So-and-so, Love Chand has got liking for Tom Cruise. It'll, It'll start throwing out all Tom Cruise movies for you and your friends. I mean, that is the power which is actually a reality. Why go that far? Today, all your mobile phones that you are carrying, the processors uh, powerful enough to have run AI at the edges. Okay, uh, I will not go to the other usage because you all so learned it and it can do that. So now what I'll do is recently the San Francisco police, I mean San Francisco passed a law, I think that was sometime in Jan, mid Jan or something that killer bots will be can be used by the police. It's again a very scary thing. Uh, we'll leave that okay, there. Now let me come back to the uh, responsible AI. Uh, Before that, let me just say how, why did AI become so possible now? I still remember when I was in 1991, having done my MTech, and I was in a computer center, mainframe computer center. The computers were the size of a four-story, four, I mean, a four-bedroom flat, with kilocycles of speeds. And four kilohertz of RAM, or four kilo bits of RAM. I mean, that is there. Now look where you got. You are having terabytes. So just because you got processing power, you got storage, and you got good communications, that AI has become possible. With this, uh, let me just give you an insight into what how AI will work. Very simple uh, for the audience there. Look, today data is power. Why? Any data which is captured, any click on the mouse, any click that you make is captured. This data on this certain algorithms work. After this algorithm, the machine will learn. After it learns, it will give out the results, whether a prediction or a clustering or whatever you are about. Right? So it's so simple. To make it simpler, uh, what uh, scares me a responsibility is any of you who are sitting here. You don't have to be an MTEC. Or a computer science. Uh, one week course on fundamentals of AI, you can go to a free download of uh, Azure ML of uh, Microsoft. You'll get all the algorithms which are there. All you know to do is just pick up the boxes, pick up a data, pick up a box of algorithms, do it and get the results, right? Why do I say this scary? If an AI model does not have an accuracy of more than 98.6%. It can be dangerous. Uh, for example, I'll give you a very small example. Suppose there's an AI system of a face, facial recognition of uh, preventing a terrorist entering a, a airport, right? Just imagine if it is a false positive. False positive, I am not a terrorist, but I've been identified as a terrorist. It's not a big deal because I will be incumbenedious. But if it's a false, negative. I'm a terrorist, but the algorithm did not take me as a terrorist. Just see that. Okay. So with this comes the responsible. Everybody is now doing it. Just recently in, on 16th of February, there was a, in Hague, there was a first global summit on responsible AI for military. Uh, 2023 and they called it as the Re-AIM-23. Okay. There were 60 signatories. US, uh, Russia was not invited. Israel did not sign it. I don't think India is also, as a last report, has not signed it. Why am I addressing this? Any action plan which has been laid out in the absence of these three how much acceptability it'll have is a big question mark you know one would wonder uh in the antarctica why did india way back in uh, i think early 90s launch and set up the north base because there the moment you set up a base you have staked claim to the antarctic right in the absence of so that is where now let me just come to this uh, uh there uh about the reality right while i'm saying that the computing power is enhancing what is the reality today what is the state today the narrow ai which is machine learning has been almost 100 percent achieved there are very good algorithms available available open source or otherwise or payment the next level is on General AI, which I also call it as machine intelligence. That means the machine has now become a little more intelligent. There's about 30 to 40%. The third is, which I call as a super AI or something like that, where the machine becomes conscious. It starts thinking. It has emotions. It can, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's conscious, everything. That is still, we are making inroads. In and I don't think as per the reports and what is there, uh, is not going to happen before the 2000, 50 or 60, or maybe even 2070, right? But the first two itself are dangerous. The inroads into the third, again, is a caution. Okay. So in in the Hague meeting, just coming back to that, what they said was, um, the human rights, okay, I just told you who all signed, the human rights experts said, uh, they expressed the concern that the action plan did not address the use of AI, that is, AI drones, slaughterbots, and such like military systems. No, there's no human in the loop, uh, which would escalate the conflict to higher levels and even lead to a tactical launch of a tactical nuclear weapon. It's dangerous. This is what they say. Uh, the signatories uh, gave commitment. To abide by the international legal obligations, war obligations. So I asked myself a question where are these legal, international legal obligations listed? Is it left at everybody's whims and fancies? Uh, Then it also said, you know, USA and China, actually in AI, China is giving USA a run for the money. USA and China and other powerful uh, countries have been reluctant to agree to put limits or limitations on military use of AI. This is fine; we agree action plan, but we will not put any limits. Isn't this a bit, little bit hypocritical? Right? And I am just quoting from the report which came from the, from Hague. Okay. And then China went a step further, and they said military use of AI must be governed by United Nations. Okay, fine, so you'll open up one more technical aspect like the UTI, T and UTIR in Geneva, whatever. Okay, based on this, USA listed 17 point agendas which were in agreement what I said above. You can read it again in my mind, it's in hogwash. Okay, so what have I concluded from this? Military um, use of AI is universally acceptable. Humanitarian issues are secondary. No one wants to lose the advantage of early early start. Humanitarian organisations will continue to cry horse. It'll be a good opportunity for the celebrities and so like to you know to 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 uh, project and get popularity, and and you know. On one hand, they agree to abide by the international laws, but at the same breath, they want to put no limit on military use of AI. Okay, now let me come back to the Indian scenario. When I said China is giving run for the money to USA, why? They have skilled manpower. India has that advantage of skilled IT engineers. I will urge the young minds not only to become it's only the coders who can be to apply your mind and start working on some very novel algorithms that is where the power of ai lies those algorithms could be the iprs of india whether it is for civil use or military use because unfortunately or fortunately ai is a dual use or dual purpose technology whatever i'm making for civil can very well be used for military and vice versa, right? Okay. Um, let me just conclude by saying that what did President Biden just one week before EM said? And to quote, we are not bystanders to history. Just word. It's just one sentence. What history? History of technology. History of AI. I will draw your mind back to the classic fight between Huawei and USA i'll again go back to of 5g fight just to give a little bit context is USA ran out of spectrum so they went into 29 gigahertz for 5g which they call it a six plus China and rest of the world with went to six gig the advantage of that is 6 g 6 gig lesser you uh, know uh, frequency longer range right so as a result the 5g Towers would have been more, uh, the infrastructure would have been much cheaper if you're going for uh, sub-6G, right? So this is exactly what uh, they said. USA wants to ensure that AI and related technologies uh, transforms how they live, how they work, how they compete, and how they defend. In AI race, they want to stay ahead of change, shape change, and ensure AI delivers for Americans. This is by the by the Secretary Jenkins who was there, quote unquote. AI is going to be for Americans, for them. So we also have to have our own AI. With that, I uh, uh, thank you all for uh, patient listening. Thank you.
3: Thank you, sir. Now I request uh, Mr. Rajkumar Sharma to come up on the stage and give his address. Uh, thank you for giving me five minutes because
2: <laughs> uh, so Dr. Rajiv, uh, General Pannu, General Chan, Ms. Manogna, Mr. Sudarshan, distinguished guests and my dear friend students. First of all, I'll congratulate uh, Dr. Rajiv for this uh, awesome book which uh, you know they put their thoughts in this book. So probably all of you would be appreciating while reading this book. Uh, guys, uh, artificial intelligence actually having potential to transform and revolutionise our almost every aspect of our life, right? India being a largest economy or rather fastest growing economy. We actually cannot ignore, uh, prioritizing artificial intelligence research and development. And that's how government has to put pressure and uh, start contributing in this. So, you know, the, the aspect is like w- geopolitical scenario is completely changing. You, you are all witness of, uh, of it. Countries like uh, Russia, China, US, they are far ahead of us. And we are still in a discussion mode now in these kind of a seminars. Please don't mind this. We cannot ignore this. Like uh, General uh, Chan said, we cannot behave like an ostrich. Something is happening. When the threat comes, the ostrich put his head in the sand and feel that nobody is watching. So we cannot do this. Uh, I believe in this forum, all of you are uh, serious enough, having, you know, uh, knowledge and interest towards artificial intelligence. That's how you all are here. But what about what after this uh, attending the seminar? how are we actually going to contribute something? Right. We all have to make a big difference we all we have to make a big difference big change and be the change if we don't do this it would be a big challenge to our nation to our society to the humanity everywhere so here i will not talk about how this ai will work how you no know, what is the algorithm all those things because we have lots of good mentors like dr rajiv and other you know general panu have also sensitized about the military operations and seriousness uh, the concerns as well I will say how we can contribute all of you are here, no need to become a coder. I believe all of you will not become a coder, but all of you will be affected because because of this artificial intelligence. So what change we can make, at least you all are the student community, we can put pressure on the government. I'm taking point by point. Right. How this current government is actually taking lots of initiatives and invested uh, lots of money in artificial intelligence development as well because I'm in connect with lots of ministries and departments. But that is not sufficient enough. We really need to speed up the process. We really need to engage everyone for the development of artificial intelligence. And We also start thinking about the indigenization of this technology, not need to know we we cannot be. uh, In fact, uh, in one of the talk of Dr. Rajiv, I have have listened like we have a second east of east india company here east india company 2.0 like microsoft amazon and google and all they are getting everything from us and utilizing the data so we are actually under threat they have already entered our nation so we have to be cautious we have to take a call something is to be done so how we can be engaged like one not need to be a coder, as i said we can influence Wherever we have some connects in fact, your neighbor, friends, relatives, we can tell them how sensitive it is. When we react something, some with some information that algorithm notices, somebody is watching us, they are manipulating our decisions. This is what it is already happening. It cannot make big change in future. It is already making a change. We all are probably not aware, but it is already happening. So this is how we need to understand. Second, Some of you might become a entrepreneur. So how we can start working towards developing AI. We should not be completely dependent upon the government. Government is one part of the system, right? But we are equally responsible. We can put pressure on them, but something is to be done at our end as well. I'll just share. uh, I spent almost 17 years in different corporates. Then suddenly I thought something is to be done for the corporate as well uh, for the nation as well. So I formed this All India Council for Robotics and Automation in 2016 and we started working for the development of different different technology and different fields as well. So today we are setting up uh, STEM labs in schools and colleges. We are setting up Industry 4.0 technology labs, center of excellence. We have done it in almost 24 universities and colleges. and Probably by end of this year, we would be having 100 center of excellence on Industry 4.0. In schools also, we are aiming to have 2,000 Stem labs to be set up so that school students young students should be encouraged some motive is to be there so that they uh, they should be having some motive to you know uh, focus upon the uh, this technology and they start they should start learning so those kind of initiatives are required in fact uh, we also do lots of uh, activities like we organize international global artificial intelligence summit as well every year we discuss how AI can make the changes in different industries like agriculture healthcare defense aerospace education so in fact we have formed steering committee as well in defense uh, general panu is chairing that committee right and we have also formed uh, recently one industry association uh, national association of drone developers and space organization and uh, general chand and general panu is also the part of that so these kind of initiatives we have taken so that we can build a larger community Everybody can be engaged from this forum. I would also like to invite all of you to be part of that bigger journey. And I would also invite uh, Dr. Rajiv to become a mentor because he has given us a path, right? Uh, General Panu have shared the experience, what is needed, but we all have to do something. That is the most important factor. Something is to be addressed. So this is all I think five minutes (laughs) I've covered. Thank you very much. Chahid.
3: Now the last speaker for the day, uh, I invite, uh, Mr. Ravi Khanna to come up on the stage and deliver his address for good evening, everybody. So I have two pages.
6: I'll try and cover them in five minutes. <laughs> so I must first thank Rajiv and his co-editors, Manogna and Sudarshan and Sanjana who is not here, who have painstakingly put together this book. My gratitude also to the eminent scholars on the dais and in the audience, and especially to all the students who have taken their time out to grace this launch. Thank you very much. Especially also to my wife and daughter, without whose support I could not have put in the long hours unhindered on my table as one revision followed another. With the specter of the COVID looming around us. Ladies and gentlemen, my article is number eight in the current book and entitled Vedic wisdom and artificial intelligence. My take is on the spiritual side. So I'm, I'm trying to take you deep dive into the Vedas and some, uh, you know, uh, analogies and metaphors from there. When I read Rajiv's first AI book, I immediately resonated with a diagram in its introduction. This diagram, namely figure two on the top, links quantum mechanics and Vedanta with the thread of primacy of consciousness. It will be especially appealing to students of mathematics and science, what I'm going to talk about. And interestingly, this has been the driving force for almost three decades of my personal study and lecturing on a marginally larger platform of Vedas and science. In fact, my interest in this was kindled way back in 1978 When I received a book written by Fritz of Capra an Austrian American physicist titled the Tao of physics from my solid state physics professor at the University of Wisconsin in the US. This book reignited the East meets West connection in metaphysics and Eastern philosophy. This book then triggered hundreds of other authors, both from the domains of science and psychology into writing books on the connection between the quantum and the consciousness. So it links later on, I'll show how artificial intelligence, as was mentioned, is heading towards trying to take a leap into machine consciousness. And I'll show that that subject is very difficult. Okay. But yet, let's see. At the beginning of chapter three of this book called the parallels, Capra compares mathematical formulae for quantum mechanics and relativity on the one side with various Vedic shlokas on the other and says that these two systems of complex knowledge may seem absolutely different and separated in time by many, many millennia. However, they are different manifestations of the same ultimate reality. So it is the same reality it's the same energy system, which we are all part of in higher dimensions. But there are different ways of speaking about it. So he he compared the the Vedas and those intonations and said, this is the same intensity as what we are doing now in maths and science. This motivated me on a journey of intense self-study and also later under the guidance of Dr. Kapil Kapoor from JNU, this search continues even today, along with practice and dialogues within the ambit of a Buddhist organization. So very quickly, I realized that it's not study. It's just not theoretical. You have to put things into action. Okay. And that is what I'm going to guide you towards in, in finding some algorithms. Coming back to Rajiv's diagram in its lower half. He talks about the artificial intelligence and how it is based on algorithms for its programming. Ultimately, these algorithms need to be written by young people like you and thus they germinate from the human mind we can already see the large number of uh, AI apps that are mushrooming all around us. Rajiv says, I quote in his book, this worldview or human consciousness is being undermined by the powerful trajectory of the AI revolution. Figure two illustrates my intellectual journey centered on physics and Vedanta and my algorithm based career. The middle is where they intersect or rather clash. My struggle to reconcile this conflicts is at the core of this creative churning and tension in this the first AI book unquote. So this was his thesis, you know, he's that wait a minute, you know, there's a lot of this work happening in AI intelligence, but everything is going to, you know, sort of have a clash with the knowledge side. And my take was that no, this is not not, but I beg to differ coming back uh, for I feel that uh, thus rajiv has taken the view that artificial intelligence and its rapidly proliferating applications are on a collision course as he further says i quote the digital industry empowering self-learning systems is proceeding in a direction opposite to that of conscious movements this is the real clash of civilizations underway the battle between the algorithm and being unquote but i beg to differ for i feel That this is my take in this article, that the artificial intelligence algorithms need not clash. But instead, we need to look for grounds of collaboration between the ancient Vedic wisdom and the present rapidly growing AI knowledge. Thus, finding progressive ways and metaphors to counter the negative aspect of artificial intelligence at law levels. This is where you people come in, where your energy comes in, where you have to find with equal force, positive applications for AI. Touch every every part, every soul, you know, and empower every individual. That is the capacity of AI. You can take analytics to any level. So I say that in some manner, this era is akin, akin to the time of the mythical Sagar Manthan or the churning of the primeval ocean from our Purans. When the positive conscious forces in the form of the devas took on the devilish negative forces head on. This time, however, the serpent being used as a rope for the tug of war is not Vishaka, but instead our self unleashed demon of artificial intelligence. We have been told again and again that there is this demonic, you know, thing which is attacking us. The devas had won since they used the strategy of Dharma and Satya or truth was on their side. And this is exactly what we need to replicate in this current yug of tribulations. Ironically, Rajiv himself shows us the way when he puns on the word algorithm and calls it algorithms. To explain, rhythm, it is a Sanskrit word that is translated as order in English. In Rajiv's own words from his earlier book, Being Different, I quote, in Rig there is a remarkable insight into universal order and harmony called Rhythm, which is the ordering principle of nature. Rhythm gives everything from vast galaxies to the nucleus of an atom, its nature and course, unquote. So in this article, I have touched upon the underlying thread of the flow of few of these macro symmetries into the micro everyday life as we experience here on Earth, both in terms of the Vedas, and science and how we can forge this combination to temper the onslaught of artificial intelligence. AI itself. I give you one insight AI. I'm a semiconductor engineer by training AI itself is based on silicon an at element that has the same symmetry in its outer electron shell as carbon. But silicon is bigger in size. The element carbon on which all life here on Earth is based being smaller can form continuous chains of covalent compounds as all the students of chemistry must be knowing this knitting the molecules and leading to consciousness and all human intelligence. The silicon atoms being cumbersome cannot form chains of molecules instead they can only bond into strong crystalline structures on the same lines as carbon does in diamonds. All semiconductor technology and the artificial intelligence that we are talking about right now is largely based on silicon. However, it needs to be fabricated and then the microchips are programmed by human minds using code-based algorithms. So silicon itself has a limitation philosophically. It cannot go and become nonlinear in the sense start making its own structures and start It all depends on the algorithms. It's carbon from where the rhythm has come from the unknown spiritually. And the only way to harness the unknown that we know at present is the Vedic wisdom. I then touch upon some shlokas from the Vedas and their Upanishads to show the equivalence of mantra and mathematics, oblique science and the structure of the Sanskrit alphabet as the symmetries within symmetries emerge on the lines of rhythm flowing in an endless play of chaos and order. The rhythm from the macro universe come through symmetries within symmetries to us. Today, we have uh, you know, algorithms of, of fractals, for example, which Mandelbrot had come up in the 1980s, which show us that size is not you know, important anymore. You can transcend size with symmetries. Roger Penrose is working on a conformal cosmology uh, you know, theory where he's trying to show that the universe is like the Vedic system of bouncing back again and again. I talk about the theory of large numbers and show how the Shanti part, or the famous piece invocation of the Upanishads, relates to the Cantor's theory of infinities in mathematics. I talk about the idea of Bindu and how it is not a zero-dimensional point, but the vibrant spund of Shiva, Throbbing between the limits of complete order and disorder or preray. Shiva is not a destroyer. Shiva is actually a part of the order and chaos dichotomy. So if order is, is Vishnu is not just a preserver. It's, it's a flow of order between Vishnu and Shiva. I show that. This leads to the Shakti principle of the Shiva Sutras and how these Shaktis unfold also on the lines of Tripura rehesya Related to the sibilants of the Sanskrit alphabet. If you are know the Hindi alphabet, the sh sh Sir are the three sibilants which are the Shakti symbols in, in the Sanskrit alphabet. This bindu and the three lines are what we all observe on the Shivalingam. So, whenever you go to the Shivalingam and you see this bindu and three lines, it is the spand and these three Shaktis which are being visualized to you. I show these unfolding shaktis as one example of the algorithm. Sharsha, sure, sure, sir, respectively stand for the Shri Lakshmi, Usha, and Saraswati. Shri is that which belongs to countability; It diminishes by giving. This is Lakshmi. If I give it to you, you receive it. I, I It becomes lesser with me. The sunlight, Usha is the shakti that replenishes itself. The sunlight, the flowing water in the river are all forms of Usha. I go to the river, I take a bucket of water, it immediately replenishes it. I get something, but it's a continuous flow of energy. The Saraswati is that energy which increases by giving. It is this relentless increasing magnitude of Saraswati that leads one to the fourth sibilant, uh, sibilant. And this is exactly what you all are doing as you are studying You receive knowledge, but the knowledge does not diminish. It just keeps flowing and goes from one to the other and keeps increasing in its uh, entity. The plant kingdom, I show, this is as an example. The plant kingdom automatically embraces the rhythms of the universe and balances all three levels of Shakti. It takes from the surroundings just what it requires through its intricate network, of roots, trunk and branches, giving back continuously to nature more than it absorbs via its leaves, seeding the rain with its water evaporation and converting carbon dioxide of the air to nurturing oxygen, simultaneously celebrating the vast creation through its abundant flower, fragrance and fruit. It completes the circle of this creation in perfect harmony with the thing. Right here, you have a rhythm which tells us how life can really proceed. Okay, right, right here. Just one example from the connection and the circle of Vedas. In the same light, this example can be followed by us as humans, as the four Purushards that Rajiv gives us at the end of his first AI book. And he says that the earth, kam, dharma leading to moksha is the pratham dharma of how we should lead our lives. In conclusion, We must control artificial intelligence very sensibly and painstakingly spreading a philosophy of humanism so that in the words of Rajiv Malhotra, the people who are anchored in dharma have a more cultivated conscience, a deeper and more vibrant awareness of the consequences of their actions. And they are less likely to be swayed, therefore, by calm earth-based temptations. This is where you all have to participate in the Sagar Mantan, and make sure that the demonic functions are thwarted. In handling AI, therefore, we must heed the warning of Sri Rabindranath Tagore, which I cite in the article, that, I quote, a mind or logic is like a knife all blade. It cuts the hand that wields it, unquote. So artificial intelligence should be tempered with true wisdom. Thank you very much.
3: A big thank you to all the speakers for such enlightening and enriching addresses. Now is the time for the question and answer session. So, uh, the students who want to ask questions from the panelists can raise their hands, and our volunteers will hand them the mics. Uh, my name is Uddasvi. I'm a student
4: of Hindu College and my family here. Uh, my question to the panelists is that uh, with the ongoing ideological warfare, uh, that has been amplified and strengthened yeah, by yeah. the politically yeah. bias, AI, editing, yeah, yeah. Netflix, or Twitter, or even yeah, yeah. ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. steps yeah. can yeah. we take yeah. on an yeah. individual yeah. level, yeah. as well as a collective level, yeah. So, yeah. so that the Indian civilization doesn't become one of the hangouts? Um, because I think simply asking for uh, a responsible and humanistic approach and use of AI is slightly an idealistic uh, view. So my question is what can we do on both the levels so that the Indian civilization continues to flourish given the amount of disruption there is in the knowledge of
0: So question if I understand correctly is that there is ideological warfare which is true, With throughout history, humans have had ideological warfare, but now there's this weapon. So, who has this weapon gets the advantage? So, what can we do so that we don't lose behind? Well, one idea is the government sh- and the in, a big business should invest in building our own AI platforms. So, we're not, uh, we're not being uh, profiled by somebody else's platform. We have a disadvantage. If you are going to fight, it's like you're fighting on somebody else's home turf, and they have a ad- home turf advantage. As long as that's not done, we cannot really defeat them. But there are things we can do as individuals. And that is that when you, you should become more vigilant about how things of interest to you, ideologically, are being profiled by various social media and various algorithms. And when you see something is wrong, you should raise hell, you should protest. And there are avenues to do that. Because if you, the more you comply with its value system, the more you strengthen that value system. And the more you disobey, disagree, fight back and there are ways to do that, I can discuss later, <coughs> then the more you kind of bring it down a little bit. So, chat GPT is trainable. You can, if enough people go and say this is wrong, your idea on this thing is not correct, then it does adjust.
2: So, uh,
6: we discussed about how AI can be a tool in human versus human conflicts. But my question is, what are your thoughts
0: on uh, AI turning against humanity as a whole? Is it possible? So, this is where uh, what Ravi said comes into the picture. He's um, I, I mentioned in my earlier book that the trajectory of AI, the trajectory of algorithm is opposing the consciousness evolution movement in Buddhism, in various traditions. There are people trying to raise consciousness not only as individuals but collectively as humanity. And the issue is the outward extroverted focus that AI does takes away from attention span. Whereas meditation requires the opposite. To meditate, you block the rest and go inside. And and only when you raise your consciousness a certain amount, you re-engage. Whereas today the, the young people have limited attention span. One of, the, one of the exercises I did in a college in the US was, I said that everybody has to sit in silence, close their eyes for 10 minutes. And then we'll discuss what you experienced. And I'm not, I'm not requiring what you have to do. You can do whatever you want. You can count numbers, you can pray, you can, uh, you can, whatever, but you shouldn't sleep. Within 2-3 minutes, people got restless. And within five or six minutes, half the room had walked out. And then when we discussed what has happened, people accused me and said, how dare you make me sit like that. So, it means that your worst enemy is yourself because you cannot put up with yourself. And you cannot run away and get rid of this person inside that you, whose company you hate. So, this attention span problem is getting worse with uh, all sorts of things, you know, few seconds here and there, jump around here and there. It's not only shorter and shorter attention span, but extroverted. The stimulation coming from outside. Whereas the consciousness movement is entirely going inside. This is, I think, the real philosophical conflict between AI and the being, the being in all of us. But that's a long discussion. We should one day have a philosophy, maybe a philosophy department, people can organize a conference and we'll all come and have another nice debate on that. Thank you. We hear a lot
3: this term algorithm. So can you please explain in a simple form what an algorithm is?
0: Okay, I'll give my explanation. Algorithm is think of a procedure. So how you make idli is an algorithm. So you do this, then you do that, then you do this, then you do that. Uh, if this happens, then change over to that backup plan. That's also part of an algorithm. How you are taught to Uh, Any procedure, anything that can be repeated, anything I can describe how to do it to you and then you can learn and do it, that's an algorithm. So, basically, the the idea started with programmers teaching a machine, step one, step two, step three, this is how you you, uh, operate. And the machine simply obeys it. So, that's what a typical, in a very simple way, algorithm is a procedure, a recipe. How you do payroll is an algorithm. How you drive a car, what you do, you put the key, ignition, this, that. That's an algorithm. Now, there are two uh, generations of algorithms in computer science. Before AI, the programmer teaches a machine. The algorithm cannot learn on its own. That was the kind of algorithm. What AI is a breakthrough is that I, the AI is a kind of system where based on its own experience of how it is doing, it can change its behavior. So, it is a driverless car with lot of sensors and it is uh, making decisions and it had an accident so it knows what it did, it should not do again. So, it it, it, it gets reinforced with good outcome and discouraged with bad outcome. So, this, this experience, is called big data. A whole lot of data, uh, uh, which represents experience in in a sense, is used to train this machine. So, trainable algorithm is like a child who is not just taught to memorize certain things. But the child goes around and playing and learns, says, okay, if I do this, I will fall. So, maybe I should not. If I do that, it is more fun. So, the child through trial and error goes on learning. So, the AI breakthrough is like a, a, a self-learning child. It's a, it's an algorithm that learns on its own based on the experience of trying different things. That's kind of a very simple…
2: Uh, I would like to ask a question from uh, Mr. Uh, Shwan sure, That uh, You were talking about novel algorithm. So, what is actually that and how will it define that whether AI will be introduced in India in a different manner or
3: the way what experts are
1: expecting, how it is going to be uh, safe, how it's going to be in safe uh, yeah. hands? Let me stick my neck out, so just explain an algorithm, right? I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, in the pre you when you're doing your programming, now I'm talking about an algorithm for bubble sort, that you want to sort up or down, right? You would be a programmer, this is prior to the AI coming What I do is I start from the bottom of the stack, keep going up till the time I reach a number which is lower than that. Suppose the bottom number is 100 and I keep going up and up, 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 and I find there's a number which is 99 and I stop there, then I start. So that is an algorithm which I program. Okay. So this is not intelligent, it's doing repeatedly the same way. If I want to bring in an element of intelligence to do this I do this, so what he will do is the machine will keep saying, okay fine this is the pattern of data, because after all the data is interlinked There's not that the data just comes without linkage or interdependence So he said, fine this is the data He said, fine what I will do is it is a better way, first time you do it the way I explained Second time it will go is, okay fine I just keep doing it and I say fine Instead of doing that, let me do half-half, so half way here and half way there, or one quarter. So here the machine is actually learning how to do it more efficiently in lesser number of iterations. So that is the efficiency of the that We used to say that, look, n square n. So here it is being much better. So that is how the machine is learning. Okay, so this is a very really simple manner about uh, there. Now coming back to, by nature, Indians are ethical. And I can say that, and so can, Jalpan. Uh, you'll hear so many stories of the compassion which is there, right? So, by nature, we are well-meaning, tolerant people. Leave it what you hear otherwise. So, whenever somebody's got a bent of mind in that way, he was going to be implementing that in this. After who's making the algorithm, who's training the machine, who's doing uh, the air, right? That, exactly that is exactly what I said is responsible AI. If AI is very powerful. If I don't do it, use it responsibly, it can be a weapon. It's a double-edged sword. So,
3: uh, I want to ask this question for General balloon. So, a Chinese balloon adequate office spy was dropped down, down by the American force weeks ago. Several object was spotted in India here at So, how can we a threat for the entire security of our information? Because it was... In, uh, three years ago on India, on particularly underrated to Japan and uh, now only the uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. forces
0: from down the balloon. Uh, so, how it will threaten for
3: the Indian territory?
5: Because there is there a use of AI in particular? Um, thank you very much. Um, your space has to be secure. It means that if an aircraft flies over your space, it can look at you, take pictures, it can direct uh, some uh, missile, or it can collect data to be used later. So constantly, every country is being spied upon, which we call ISR, intelligence, uh, surveillance, uh, and constants. So what happens is that if there is an element which in any which way is thrown up in the air, uh, actually is uh, intrusion into your sovereignty and territory. But what is specific about the balloon is that your normal aircraft normally climbs up only to about 20 kilometers, to 22 at best, to 25 even if it is a super specialist. You know, it's some kind of a rocket force. But it cannot go above that because the atmosphere does not support an aircraft. But a balloon can still go, which is near space. So between, say, 25 kilometers to 100 kilometers is a space which is empty. If you have to throw satellites up, we have uh, the DG from the Satcom Industries Association sitting here, and we have been discussing this, that you need to actually throw your satellite above 100 kilometers at the common line. But you cannot fly anything above where it is possible for an aircraft to fly, so therefore Anything which is flying in that space cannot be picked up, so therefore it becomes dangerous, and then you have no idea what's being. Had. So the balloons have been used where your radars can't pick up, your aircraft cannot operate. So it was detected that the balloons have been used near space, that is the, the not on the outer space, but at the, at the at the edge of the space where the aircraft cannot reach. So it was a big task for the Air force to take their aircraft to a point to shoot down the planes, so which became a challenge. They have been powered by the solar, uh, uh, you know, panels. They collect data, they transmit. Anything which is up in the in the space can transmit data. It can be used as a relay station. So, so therefore, I hope you got the context that if you cannot detect a satellite, if you cannot detect an aircraft, it is dangerous. But Both aircraft and satellites can be detected, but the balloons are very difficult to detect, and that is where the satellites are. I I want
4: to ask one question to Mr. Raji uh, regarding the AI is causing some kind of joblessness scare at this moment. And uh, there are some uh, research happening in the US which concluded that. uh, AI. Some companies are already using, and the majority of the companies will be somehow using AI. GP for that uh, example, uh, and they will somehow replace the workforce. Yes. And uh, what I'm talking about is uh, jobs like code making, and content creating, customer support, all these kind of things. And these, and the customer support uh, stuff are happening in India also. That's one
0: question. No, but what's the question? Okay. So, it is absolutely true. Uh, and in fact, in my first book on artificial intelligence, I criticize uh, many consultants who have convinced the public of the opposite that AI will create more jobs. The government has convinced the people that AI will create more jobs. Uh, they, that is a good way to pacify people so they don't complain. The fact is, that uh, productivity goes up with AI. So, you need fewer people to do that. I mean, there are factories in the in the US where there is a massive factory uh, with uh, 10 people. What would normally take a thousand people with robots and all these kind of things, uh, you know. So, obviously, when you have a drone doing something or a robot doing something or an algorithm able to do something far, far more efficiently, it would have taken more people. Now, there are algorithms that are reading x-rays, x-ray images. And they diagnose uh, what is wrong, what is right. If there is a… much better than a person, they can detect a tumor. And they can compare it with the previous one, previous one and tell you what's going on. Much better than human radiologist. So, uh, face recognition. Uh, a, a machine can recognize faces more accurately than people, faster than people. And even in bad light, they can recognize. So, if you were in the old days, if you had to recognize uh, fingerprints and some security for security check or or facial recognition, it would take a lot of people and take a lot of time. But now the algorithm can do it very quickly. So, obviously, you are replacing human beings. There is no doubt about it. Now, you are creating new jobs also. But you are creating jobs of a different kind. Very highly educated AI type people, you are creating jobs. So, maybe Bangalore will get more economy, more jobs. And some village in Bihar will lose out because they are there, the kind of work they are doing is very labor intensive which will be replaced. So, what we are going to do is poor countries may lose jobs and some people in Silicon Valley or Bangalore or China will get more jobs. And this is why I am concerned the concentration of wealth rich becoming even richer, which is happening right now. The top few percent of wealthy people in India and US, all these places, the percent of wealth that they own is more getting more than it used to be previously. So, the technology is allowing those who own the technology, who own the patents, who own the intellectual property, which is the game of very big companies, it's allowing them to use that capital and that technology to make even more money, you know. And, and the, the, this is at the expense of uh, poor people. So, there is definitely need for uh, social policy, for uh, economic policy, for people to be concerned about it. Uh, and and raise some and and you know there are movements called ai ethics i'm part of some of these movements and there there is a counter voice to have responsible ai so for instance in some countries in europe they're trying to enact laws that if you introduce ai which uh, re- removes a certain number of jobs your responsibility as part of the ai project is to train those people and get them some other job you 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 can't just throw them out so that is the where the debate is right now. But thanks for the question.
3: Thank you, sir. Now, we will this session to an end. On behalf of the Bharat Book Club, Historical India and the Gandhi Study Circle of Hindu College, I would like to extend my gratitude to Rajiv Ji for raising the occasion and giving such an intellectual address. I would like to extend my gratitude to Lieutenant General BJS Pannu Major General Love Bikram Singh ji, Raj Kumar Sharma ji, Ravi Khanna ji, Ishwara Patil ji, Shubodip and Divya Reddy ji, and also to dignitaries uh, Rakesh Mehrotra ji and Colonel Manik Anand ji. Thank you all the dignitaries and speakers for raising the occasion. It has been really auspicious and enlightening to hear from all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you.